the Fire Within Podcast. You need a sustainable plan, the right mindset, and the knowledge and inspiration to stoke the fire within. Just like the Phoenix, you can burn your old habits, never turn back, and emerge completely anew. There are no shortcuts. Welcome, Fire Within Nation. This is the Fire Within Podcast, where we dive into all things nutrition, fitness, and health related. I'm your host, Brandon Woolley, joined by my co-host and producer, Joe. Hello. Welcome, Joe. And today our guest is Justin Powell. Hello. And I have a connection with Justin. He's my cousin. It's true. What up, guys? What up, guys? How you doing, Brandon? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on, man. Yeah, thanks for coming. Yeah, my pleasure. Tell us a little bit about yourself and your background and what you do. Well, I mostly define myself as your cousin. That's kind of the defining moment of my uh, point of my life. <laughs> um, a licensed clinical social worker living in North, living and working in North Carolina. I kind of specialize in community mental health. I've been working in mental health for the last like 14 years in various states, Illinois, California, and now North Carolina. I'm licensed in California and in North Carolina. Uh, I'm a recent uh, transplant here in North Carolina. My last six and a half years or so of work were working in San Francisco, working with uh, a very high, what we call in mental health, high acuity population in uh, on the streets of San Francisco, meaning what? profoundly mentally ill and profoundly addicted to drugs. All right. <laughs> that, that's a challenging population for sure. Now you kind of had a, a neat opportunity to do like a kind of a backpacking trip to kind of figure out where you wanted to stay. Is that right? That's true. Yeah. Me and my wife, after I finished my master's, she had finished nursing school a year or so before I finished my master's and we kind of, we were living in Illinois at the time. We're both from Illinois and we decided to save up a little money and live in a car for a few months and just drive around America and see if we could find a place that we wanted to live instead of just living in a place that was nearby where our parents had chosen to live. We had a, like a national parks pass. We were hitting up all the national parks. We're all over the country and settled. That's how we ended up in the Bay Area. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, it was great. One of the, be by far, like the best time of my life. Yeah. Now, any particular anecdotes that stick out from that trip? Oh, I don't know if any of them are uh, G-rated enough for your audience. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. No, no. I mean, just, I mean, honestly, over the course of a very long summer, getting to see everybody that we knew and loved around the country and getting to like get a full grasp of how awe-inspiring the landscape of America is. And I did not know Utah was cool, but Utah is super cool. Like in turn, like the, the coolest, uh, na like craziest national parks and craziest rock formations you'll ever see are bizarrely in Utah. So thanks Mormons. Nicely, nicely done. Uh, so what made you choose to settle down in the North Carolina area? My uh, wife got into PA school. We've got some family in the area. Aside from you guys, we have my brother-in-law and his family's here. Buying a house in the Bay Area is practically impossible. So we sort of cashed out of the Bay Area and bought a nice place out in the country here, which you've been to. And we've got a nice little corner of uh, corner of Durham we live in now, which is pretty sweet. Durham. Durham. Yep. Then you got a little one, Clementine. Yep. We got two little ones. You two forgot about ones. Oh, uh, Joey. Joe. <laughs> no, I didn't forget about Joey. <laughs> How can you forget about Joe? Yeah, we got Joe and Clem. Yep. 
So I'm sure that, you know, being a dad of two, that, that definitely creates its own challenges, especially with the health and nutrition and trying to make everybody happy. Yes. Yes. Finding time to take care of anybody other than those kids and yeah, finding time to take care of yourself is not necessarily the easiest because you are, if I ever was the main focus, which I'm not convinced that I ever was, I'm definitely not. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, now, I had a chance to visit San Francisco just for a couple of days. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a wicked cool city. Yep. But I definitely noticed a difference in lifestyles. Mm-hmm. It seemed to be more of an active community. There's definitely tons of, there's tons of similarities and tons of, tons of differences. Like there is on the West Coast, particularly in the Bay Area, there's tons of like amazing landscape and you're there kind of nestled in Sierras and there's just an outdoor, like you're saying, there's this outdoor culture. We're, we're very mountain adjacent here in North Carolina. So there is like, like they have the, the PCT, we've got the AT, the Appalachian Trail out here. Like, so there's some similarities there in terms of kind of the, the more active urban life. That is where I kind of see the, the biggest difference. I always joke that like that stereotypical healthy California lifestyle is always because you have to park so far away from where you, you want to go that you always are walking. <laughs> yeah. I had to, I, I rode, would ride a bike to work because it was just so much easier and so much faster. But like, if I tried to drive a car every day, I'd be on the bridge for like two hours Oh man! and like just sitting in my car, being angry at everybody around me. <laughs> it doesn't <laughs> sound like a good lifestyle. No, it's not good. Not good. People are encouraged just out of necessity to find these more active ways to get around. In terms of food and like nutrition type stuff, there is a wider variety. There, There is like a, fr- a big fresh food movement that has happened. That happened kind of a long time ago, I think in California, again, in the Bay Area specifically, that really influences everything. Like everything is the, the like buzzwords in, in like fine dining. It's like farm to table. It's, it's whole foods. It's slow food is like the more is like, in the last 10 years, like everybody's focused on like slow food. What does that mean? I'm actually I'm so, not familiar with that term. I think it, Alice Waters came up with that term and it's a, it's sort of an answer to fast food. It, like the sixties and seventies, like you've got the, like leave it to be your family and like everybody's cooking a, a, a whole turkey or a whole roast every single day. And then in like the seventies and the eighties, food science evolves and people start figuring out how to like make rice and yeah. like, quick food and like you know outside of like your burger joint type fast food stuff like that became like oh well you can eat food that tastes 90 percent, you know all almost as good and you just don't have to work nearly as hard for it so it's about that that food movement was about like convenience changing culture demanded that a more efficient food answer as things are cyclical that people are like you know actually food tastes better when it was made out of food (laughs) imagine that uh, which is a crazy concept, but um, one that I think is pretty true, that food is better when it's made of food. Yeah. Now, what do you think allowed uh, California to kind of grasp to, uh, that that concept to go back to real food faster than the rest of the country? I think it's very evident in California. I couldn't necessarily give California specifically credit. Um, I think that it's more about being like an international metropolitan area. Yeah. So like Los Angeles, San Francisco, Seattle, um, Portland, places like that on the West Coast. And like New York City obviously is a, a world-class city, culinarily speaking. Yeah. Culinarily is a word. Sure. Um, it is now. Sure. I don't know. 
Now, do you think that there's a noticeable difference of the health of the population there versus here? Do you think they have less of the issues with obesity, with diabetes, heart disease, or or is it hard to gauge? I think that <clears throat> this is... So I've been talking about a bunch of stuff I don't really know about because I'm not like a food scientist. I'm not like a nutritionist, <laughs> but what I am is a social worker. And I think that those sorts, I think that those changes or those differences are going to be, are more tied to socioeconomic factors than necessarily like, do you live on the East coast or in the mid Atlantic West coast? Yeah. Is it more expensive to eat slow East food? Coast. It real is food. more, more, yeah. More, real food is more expensive than mm -hmm. fast made out of chemicals food. Oh Yeah. You have more time if, and resources to a lot to that if you're not working a 12-hour day for minimum wage just to afford rent. That brings I mean, up an interesting topic that I, I think both of you guys work in a very similar profession in mm -hmm. that like the point of what Brandon's trying to do and the point of what a social worker is trying to do is help people who want to see a change happen in their life. Totally. And see transformation. And I wonder what kind of similarities and what kind of differences you guys have seen in that field because... I have to imagine that a lot of actually seeing a transformation starts in the brain before it becomes action and habits. Everything starts in the brain. Yeah. Everything starts in the mind. If you take Dr. John Berardi's precision nutrition course, half of the entire course isn't on nutrition. It's on behavior change. Yeah. So I, th I think that that is a key component for sure. So you mind if I kind of rapid fire from your guys' perspective, what I perceive to be some of the real common myths about behavior change and just kind of get your perspective as a personal trainer and people trying to navigate that change as somebody that works in the social uh, work profession and somebody that works with people that are either at risk or in addiction recovery type situations. Sure. Here's some of the myths, right? Uh, first one, <clears throat> are we all a couple bad decisions away from being addicted and homeless? Or in your case, are we all a couple of bad decisions away from becoming terribly obese? Uh, a couple bad decisions. I mean, it doesn't happen that fast, but your trajectory in life can be changed in less than one decision. Your trajectory, like people can be changed. Life-altering traumas happen in people's lives, right? Yeah. And how they end up and that can happen a, a rock a, a plane can fall out of the sky land on your house and your life's changed forever you didn't make a decision but now you've got a whole new life situation to deal with and you may not know how to cope with it yeah and boom you're homeless in that moment and you may go down the wrong path of learning how to cope with that stress and anxiety and just the general you know all that all that trauma brings to us and in that moment yeah like your life changes and suddenly you can, you're, you're, you're going down a, a bad road and it's because of external factors as much as it is personal choice. So my take on it, even if it was one big decision, I feel like there's a whole host of smaller decisions and lifestyle changes to take. For example, I just finished reading uh, Elton John's autobiography. There's a lot of mention of cocaine. It's not like somebody out of the blue wakes up and goes, I'm going to try cocaine. Maybe first they make decisions to be with a different crowd and maybe then they start make decisions to 
you know, go out later at night and be exposed to different things that eventually get them to that one bad decision and then they're hooked for life. Yeah. I think it could be similar with weight loss or, or with weight gain and some health problems there. You know, let me try this treat. I've never had a Snickers before. Oh my God, that's a super <laughs> hyper palatable, addictive sugar. I really, really like that. Or I tried a Chick-fil-A sandwich and now I want to try Popeye's chicken sandwich. And now it's this whole... So, and then I get stabbed, right? That and point. then you get stabbed. That's right. So <laughs> All I wanted was a chicken sandwich. So, you know, I think there's micro decisions. Now I need a kidney. <laughs> <laughs> We got to work that into the show title, but uh, no, I, I think I think it can be a tra- trajectory. But sometimes I think maybe it can be uh, a really bad decision. All right, next thing that I've heard a lot before is, does change occur when the pain of staying the same outweighs the pain of change? Well, let me I'm gonna I'm gonna debunk your question a little bit because I don't believe that there is such a thing as staying the same. I think that everything always changes. Everything's always changing. Everyone is always changing. And you can either be, you can either enact your own agency in that change and choose to guide that change, or you can remain passive and allow change to happen to and around you. I feel like I was pretty negative and fatalistic in that first answer of the, on the rapid fire. Let me just point out, I do believe that you have the power to make positive changes in your life and make yeah. good decisions. And that, there's a path to recovery, no matter how far down a road you go. Mm-hmm. And I don't believe that you need to be motivated only by avoiding negative consequences. And I think that's largely what Brandon's trying to do is to empower people in making in recognizing that they can start setting their own goals and start setting their own courses for yeah. change. I think it's an incredibly positive way to look at it because it doesn't mean you're held hostage until some kind of catalyst happens. If you think about change that way, that it's always happening, you're not waiting to get you off the ground and get moving. Exactly. All right, next one. Habit making or habit breaking? Which is harder? Ooh. I would I would have to say breaking because it's already ingrained I and mean, you're already in that rhythm. But I, I've done no research. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I think it, oh, I'm going to disagree. I think it's habit making. Yeah. I think it's habit making. I think I started, I think it's really easy to want to start a habit and it's really easy after two days to just be like, oh, I forgot to do. <laughs> or like, or like, man, my, my leg, my, my legs hurt. Not going to run today. <laughs> I think habit making is difficult. I, I think they're the same. They're two sides of the same coin. I think is the real answer. Obviously yeah. like. Neither one is easy. Neither thing is easy. And you have to be able, and, and the most effective way to break a habit is to make a new habit to replace it. If you've been spending a lot of time drinking at night and you stop, what are you going to do at night? <laughs> you, you need to find something to do. Yeah. You need to find a way to, to use that energy because you, you're going to have a lot of it and you're going to have a lot of time to fill that you were otherwise doing with filling with drinking or TV or, or sugar or whatever it may be. And so you need to figure out something else to do and with your focus and attention and energy in order to redirect your behavioral pattern. Yeah, that's a very good point. So with any of my nutrition clients, if we can't just take something away and leave it. So if we're going to cut out ice cream, what are we going to put in place of that? That's a better decision. Mm-hmm. Without that replacement, you're in trouble. If you're trying to quit smoking, what are you going to replace with that addictive habit? Is it going to be listening to music? Is it going to be running? But I do think there has to be a replacement. Yeah. Or at least, have you heard of this thing? It's uh, it's called vice bundling. No, I, I I've heard of habit bundling. I've habit, heard of maybe it's bundling. maybe I'm calling it vice bundling, but it's <laughs> habit bundling. The idea is that if you have a habit that's not particularly helping you, you just have to like couple it. So, like, I have a friend who wanted to lose who 
fanatical movie about movies, watches more movies than any human being I've ever met, but wanted to lose weight, but was spending like, he's like, I need to watch films constantly. So he's like, he eventually buys a treadmill and is like, I can watch infinite movies now as long as I'm walking on the treadmill. I read a book called The Power of Habit that had a story in it that was pretty similar to yours. This guy was watching too much TV and he wanted to do something. So he decided, I'm going to use this habit bundling thing. Yeah. And he was an engineer kind of nerd. So he decided to rig his Netflix connection modem power <laughs> to a generator that he put into his bike. So that as long as he was pedaling the bike, he could watch Netflix. If he stopped pedaling, Netflix would Lag. go away. Oh, Starts wow. lagging. <laughs> <laughs> That's nuts. So the, I think I've also heard like the idea behind the habit bundling approach is like you already have a habit. Try to leech onto it, right? I think it's trying to, I think it's what it's addressing is what we mentioned earlier is that habit making and habit breaking are both difficult things to do. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. In the field of community health or community mental health, we call that type A similar concept is something we call harm reduction, specifically as as it pertains to substance use. So like needle exchanges are a type of harm reduction. It's not like the most politically popular thing in the world necessarily. The idea of giving heroin addicts or IV drug users clean needles, but what you're doing is you're preventing the spread of infectious diseases. Abstinence doesn't always work, right? So like breaking a habit entirely doesn't always work. So if you start bundling something healthy or reducing the amount of harm that a habit's causing you, then you're making incremental change Yeah, without having to make seismic shifts. Another thing you always hear when you talk about habits, so curious about your guys' perspective, 21 days of repeatedly doing something creates a habit. True or false? I think it could be a good start. I don't know that there's an exact number, but I think different people have a faster ability to latch on to a new habit. It certainly can hurt. At least that gives you a goal of consistency. And maybe if you could break through that 21 days, you go, okay, man, I got this. Yeah, 21 days ain't nothing, but I don't know that it's necessarily life altering yet. Yeah. Yeah. It's tough to think that if I do something for three weeks now, I, this is forever for the rest of my life. Totally. Now, <laughs> now when I was a music major, um, they said for every time you play a passage wrong, you need to play it seven times correct in order to <laughs> rewire that pathway. I think I would agree. I think it's a goal. I mean, I've done things for 21 days that haven't stuck. So I know personal totally. experience wise, like it's, it's hard to be like, yep, that's true. But I think it's a helpful like axiom for people. To yeah. Be. You know, at least it'll keep you from giving up at day 18 and that's a couple more days. I think it's good to set goals like that. And I think the principle is valid in it, right? Like if you want to create a new habit, a big component of that is repeatedly doing the thing. Right. Yeah. It's a, be- it's, it's setting benchmarks for yourself and attainable goals. Like, yeah. If you, if your goal is to never eat sugar again, like that's just a big unwieldy thing because you're, <laughs> you know, like I'm going to, you're like, going to have to become like a hyper vigilant weirdo. To, totally. To totally. Like it, you, you maybe haven't thought it through <laughs> to just <laughs> in the moment it's December 31st at 1159. And you're like, I need something for this year. Duh, I'm not going to do anything ever again. I'm not going to do this ever again. And then a minute later you're like, how am I not going to do this ever again? <laughs> this is, this thing is difficult. It's everywhere. Like yeah. sugar is everywhere or whatever the, the resolution may be like setting, setting a 21 day goal is a great goal and it's a great benchmark for attaining something. Yeah. But, and it proved if maybe, maybe the best takeaway from a 21 day success streak is that you're proving you can make that habit. Yeah. I don't really have a, like a pithy statement for this one, but I have like a couple stories. So sure. 
this, this, I've heard this over and over again. There's a difference in mindset for the way to help somebody understand maybe like uh, relapse might be the addiction recovery term sure. or in, in diet nutrition, like you just, it's cheat day, I guess would be the thing. Mm-hmm. But like, there's a couple approaches that I've heard. One, let's say the story is a person's been sober for a year and they fell off the wagon. And so the response that somebody could have would be like, congratulations for making it a year. Mm-hmm. Let's, let's do it again. And that's mm-hmm. one mindset. Mm-hmm. And then another mindset is like, and I think this is probably more the mindset of the person in the situation would be, oh no, I got to start all over. I'm starting from square one. But really, are they starting from square one or is it, what is it? It's entirely context driven. I think you're, the, the difference here is like with addiction. So first of all, with addiction, like there's a saying that goes around that's like relapse is your friend expect him to come over. Like you can expect to be seeing him at some point in your recovery. Like it's just going to like, again, Mm -hmm. when you're talking about changing something for your entire life, it's a big unwieldy goal and people are imperfect. Don't think about it as being something that invalidates that previous year of sobriety. Yeah. You did that. Congratulations. You can get right. You know, you've proven that you can do it. I did an interview with a guy who was in AA and spent a lot of time in AA and had done a lot of, been a lot of people's sponsors. And, and I kind of asked him to describe what's the difference between like somebody that drinks a lot and an alcoholic? What's the difference between like, how do you know when you cross the line? And he had a, in a way that was really memorable for me is like, it's kind of like, like when you turn a cucumber into a pickle, like you can't turn it back. <laughs> like it toast a pickle. it's always a pickle yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> toast can't ever become bread again <laughs> yeah nope <laughs> that's funny so how does that apply like with with eating do you think people are overly harsh on themselves when they go off the deep end and eat 27 chicken wings <laughs> i don't think that they're starting from square one because yeah. they have so much momentum and so much repetition my understanding of learning new habits and how neurons form is every time they do something different and they repeat that behavior, it gets an additional protein myelin sheath coating and creates a stronger and stronger connection, which makes it easier to become more automatic. Mm. And it doesn't mean they could do that. They're going to do that every single time automatically, you know, we're free will beings. But I think if they've laid that groundwork, it's not difficult to go back. And I think hiccups are fine. I personally have hiccups all the time. You know, they may not be as severe as when I was super, super unhealthy, but it happens. And I I put on five pounds over the holidays. I just got on the scale and I'm back to my normal weight of 172. Took me two, two and a half weeks. We'll bleep that out. Yeah, no, I'll leave it in. <laughs> but so, so I think that's okay. But to me, it doesn't make sense to give up. In that regard, you could treat it much like the addiction recovery thing, like expect fluctuations, like yeah. ex- expect that kind of stuff. Yeah. If you expect it, then maybe you can have a better mindset when it happens. Bringing it together a little bit, like when you're making positive change and like, like you mentioned in the question, like, like, are we talking about a relapse or a cheat day? The difference is a relapse is you're falling back into something that's very damaging with when we're talking about like substance abuse and stuff. So in order for it to be an apples to apples thing, somebody would have to have like a eating disorder addiction kind of thing. Right. A cheat day is meant to make it so that you can still enjoy life. Right. There's no like (laughs) alcoholics version of cheat day. Right. No, alcoholics don't get a cheat day. (laughs) (laughs) That's not the same. Yeah. That doesn't translate. Yeah. That's the difference between a cheat day and a relapse. (laughs) That's a good distinction. Yeah. And to bring it all, bring bring some other stuff back around, man, out difference between the Bay Area and here, 
y'all love some chicken out here. Oh, the yeah. chicken wing game out here is insane. <laughs> I'm actually making those tonight with Michelle. And, and barbecue, right? We like our barbecue too. The closest grocery store to my house has a hot wing bar like all day long. <laughs> I wa- I'm obsessed with it. It's very difficult for me. <laughs> it's challenging. So, so yeah, I've mentioned this on other episodes, but to get around that, I, I buy organic wings, I bake them, and then I mix them with olive oil and Frank's Red Hot Sauce. And um, they're 100% healthy. Okay to eat anytime because they're not deep fried in some crazy vegetable oil right. that's horrible for you. They taste better, honestly. It's the South, man. People love chicken. We, we love the chicken. This is what I'm learning. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm growing culturally. All right. <laughs> we have a convert. I didn't say that. <laughs> I just said I'm obsessed with the hot... I'm, I'm not saying I'm eating hot wings at the wing bar at the Food Lion. I'm just saying I'm obsessing over the presence of a, f- <laughs> a wing bar at the Food Lion, man. That's crazy. I remember the first time I went to a Harris Teeter and saw a bar. Like there's a there's a Harris Teeter in Cary that has like a bar that you can belly up to the bar and drink beer. Wow. Like yep. while other people while shopping. are shopping. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Like this shopping trip is tough. Yeah. Well, yeah. first I thought you could walk around with them like at Whole Foods and they actually chased me down. They're like, no, no, no you <laughs> sir, can't do that. Sir, this is not the designated area for that behavior. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They, I had this lady come chasing me down the whatever aisle. I don't remember where it was. So I got, I got one more myth and it's, it's probably a tougher one to unpack, mm-hmm. but we, we mentioned it earlier before the show, we were just chatting about it is willpower an exhaustible resource. In other words, Another way to phrase it would be like, is willpower something that can be developed like a muscle? Is it something that you're going to run out of at some point? And so we need to be careful how we ration it out. That kind of logic. You want to go? You want me to go? I go first. To me, I feel like it, it depends on the situation. You know, if, if there's, Darren Hardy uses the example of if somebody paid you $20 to walk across a steel beam on the floor there's not a lot of risk involved and you can do it. Now, if somebody offered you $20 to walk across a steel beam a hundred stories up connecting two towers, that would be much more difficult. You wouldn't want to do it. But if on the other side was your baby and the other burning building was burning down, you can find that willpower to, to cross that steel beam. Mm. So I think it depends on the, the motivator. I think, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I like your analogy of, likening it to a muscle. <clears throat> I think that it's something we can develop a deeper reserve of to some extent that people can become exhausted and then their willpower is then therefore also exhausted, but we're not exhausted forever. We rest, we recover, we can regain our, our will. We can regain our, our energy stores. And I think I, that's more how I think about it. It's something that we can develop and strengthen and that, to say it's finite, like, man, I, I was really, really abstinent from everything, but now I'm 35, so I'm out. So I guess I'm just doing heroin now. Like, <laughs> that's not necessarily how I think about it, but like. <laughs> Feels like, like an excuse. Wouldn't hold up in court. Right. right. Out of willpower, Judge. Yeah, come on, man. What do you want me to do? <laughs> I haven't had a drink my whole life. I think I think about it as like, it's something that, that you can get exhausted, but it's not permanently exhausted. I think that if you combine like the idea of willpower and, and habit forming, we just talked about this with John Ragsdale from Frontline Fitness and he was 20 year military background. And when Brandon asked him about like, is it tough to stay motivated to stay in shape? His thing was like, not anymore. 
like it was when I started, <laughs> but I've been doing it for so long. It's like a habit that doesn't cost me willpower. It's kind of, that's not the totally. way he phrased it, yeah. but it, it was such an ingrained habit that now it doesn't cost him the kind of willpower it would take somebody who doesn't regularly work out to be, get into the habit of working out. Yeah. That's a great, that's a great point. It's a great way to think about it. It's like developing the system is way harder than maintaining it once it's ingrained. Yeah. Yeah. Now um, that uh, leads me to a question. Uh, you know, I hear a lot about decision fatigue. And some people complain if, if they have to make too many choices by the end of the day, that, that causes them to give up easier. I get decision fatigue at Starbucks. I'm like, so many options. <laughs> <laughs> well, not necessarily with a plethora of options, but just like, uh, but meal prep is where I really hear it the most. Like, you know, it, it's overwhelming to people to try and figure out what healthy choices are. Mm. And if it's not laid out in a plan and ready to go, it's just too easy for them to make the wrong decision. But maybe that goes back to kind of that temporary fatigue as if willpower was a muscle. Yeah. And you have the extreme versions like Zuckerberg doesn't want to make decisions. So he's only going to wear a blue shirt. Right. Yep. You know, yeah. and that's my, cho I don't have to make so, that choice again. So my question to, to you, Justin, would be, does that ever play into trying to help somebody with addiction, try and find as many areas of their life where they don't have to fight uh, to make choices and to put on autopilot or, or how does that fit in? I, it's not, I just, I wouldn't. Decision fatigue and, and, and addiction issues, I think, probably belong in different silos of, of, of human behavior. I think decision fatigue is uh, a term that is used to around like human optimization and like you're like trying to get the squeeze the most out of your day and your productivity. And those people, those, those are extremely high functioning people like Mark Zuckerberg is like, mm. he's an extreme... For good, better or for worse, he's a very high-functioning human being who's getting a lot done. So I think that 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 substance abuse and addiction is is a much more systemic, insidious thing. It's much more about health than it is optimization. Yeah, it's yeah, yeah. It's 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 a lot more of a a crisis <laughs> yeah. than it is any yeah. than it is about. I mean, it's just it is it's more about health than it is like optimization. You you are talking about optimization. They're not unrelated because. Some people's addictions are low level. Some people just can't say no to the food lion wing bar because it looks <laughs> awesome. But that doesn't mean that they're not, I mean, they're, they're waiting till after work to hit that bar, whatever the bar is, whether it's wings <laughs> or, or the tea, the Harris tier, you know, beer bar in the middle of the store there. If, if you're hitting it on the way home from work and you don't have kids, it's not really messing your life up all that bad. Yeah. Like in, in terms of how we like clinically look at it at like substance use versus substance abuse versus substance de yeah. dependence and stuff like that. And how you like, it's like how it's graded on a scale of how much it's messing up your life. I also heard it said wow, like the difference between addiction and moderation. Like the, there's a conversation of like in moderation consume alcohol. And then there's a conversation of an addict and they don't, they don't kind of, play well and i was asking a, a gentleman about that and he said it's think about it like this if you if you say i'm going to the bar tonight and i'm going to have two drinks with my friend and you have nine you probably have an issue or you had a really good time <laughs> <laughs> yeah but i think he also meant to say and he i don't think he was just limited to one thing i think he was saying like you got to look at it as a as an overall pattern like totally. what's the pattern right and yeah. not just if like every time you go to the bar, you say you're going to have two and you have nine. Yes. You that's what he was saying. You definitely have yeah. a problem. <laughs> not like it was a one-time bad decision, but I think he was trying to make that point. Yeah. Right. Like if, if you are, it, find yourself in this pattern, you need to be honest with where you're at. Totally. Yeah. I mean, in, in all areas of your life and mm -hmm. in, in, especially with habits, 
and yeah. patterns. Like the, that's how change happens is by recognizing and, and trying to alter the, the patterns and habits of our lives. What does moderation look like, Brandon, when it comes to the notion of a cheat day, when it's the way you eat? I think if you please combine- make your answer wing related, if possible. <laughs> how many wings per week? Um, <laughs> this is not an exaggeration. When I make them my way, I'll have I'll have over twenty wings in one sitting. You have um, to kill twenty chickens or ten chickens to ten get chickens. that meal. Yeah, no, literally, <laughs> no. Wow. You can get because a wing four. can be the drum, the drum and, and the so wing. you can get four wings per per chicken. Yeah. No, not, that's not so bad. Don't worry about not it. Not that yeah. I thought about this a lot or anything. Yeah. So as no, no. Vegan, as a former vegan, I routinely, <laughs> won't, you know, two to three times a month, we'll have about twenty wings, but they're done healthier. Now, I think if you're going full out and you're just eating horribly at a restaurant, I think if you keep it to one or two meals during the weekend, for most people, that's all right. You know, Friday comes, you want to go to, you know, ale house and, and just go nuts. Fine. Do that for that meal and they get back on the wagon. But if that causes another cheat and another cheat and another cheat, it could differ from person to person. Cause I know some people think about it like this. Well, I screwed up next week. Like I've already had a bad meal <laughs> this week's shot. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> what I think the other thing is, is if you can make your cheats better than what they used to be, because a cheat for me it used to be going to a buffet and having five or six plates, three of them being dessert. Now a cheat for me is maybe I'll have grass-fed beef burger and I'll get the fries instead of a side salad, you know? It's it's a way different type of cheat. So I think if you could continue to improve that as well. I mean, there's different ways to look at it. Yeah. The concept of a cheat day is to not end up in this fatalistic, like, I, you know, this catastrophic thinking of like, oh, I... I had fries. What, what, that's it. It's over diet over, you know, life over. I'm just going to eat. I'm just going to live at this wing bar for the rest of my life now. Like, so if that's the way you find somebody, their mindset is brand new when it comes to their nutrition, how do you kind of help them get out of that? Well, I try and help them establish grace for themselves and to make that not the only habit they're looking at. Cause if they're getting more steps in, If they're getting deeper sleep, we know they're going to burn more calories. If they're making an effort to have consistent exercise and then, okay, so you had pizza a night, that doesn't negate all those other positive things. So I think it's important to have, you know, a holistic perspective of goals and what progress and success looks like, because that doesn't define everything you've done in the last couple of weeks. And it doesn't make sense to just throw up your hands and give up because of that one thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's about belief to some extent, like you need to believe that you're able to be that person, that, that person who's capable of change, that person who's able, that you're able to become that person that you want to be. And that goes with all health, behavioral health, mental health, substance stuff. If you don't at a baseline level, like think like I am that person, I'm that person who can stop drinking. I'm that person who can eat healthy. I'm that person who can start a, a health routine. It's not going to happen for you. And the fact is that, again, going back, ch- everything's always changing. So you're either changing into a person that can do those things or you're moving further away from it. Not to be scary about it, but like those are your, those are to some extent your options. And you can always reverse course at any point. At any point, you can start making progress towards recovery or your own personal goals or being goal-oriented in the first place. Yeah. And I think one of the cool things about doing this show is just hearing some of the incredible uh, stories. You know, we had Drew Mitchell on who was, you know, um, taking steroids and roid raging and drugs and alcohol and just like, 
you know, fighting people in the streets, going to jail, all, all kinds of stuff. Um, and now he's just this loving father. He's running an insurance business, just doing an incredible, you know, I watched him play in the kiddie pool with his uh, kid for hours, day after day after it. So, and then Mr. Lee as well, with his whole transformation, lost 120 something pounds, beat, you know, beat alcoholism. So, so I think, I think no matter how far down that road you are, I do think that there's a possibility of change. Most definitely. I saw a great definition in a book by James Clear called Atomic Habits. It was very impactful to me the way he kind of talked about it. He was talking about the way that people's mindset actually changes. Like if you just kind of broke it down into a step-by-step thing, it's like, I'm not the person that I want to be. They're very fatalistic. I'm doing everything wrong. And then you start to take steps in that direction. Like he used the example of, say you wanted to be an author. You wanted to write a book, but you never written. You don't write and I want to be an author one day, but I'm not. And I'm just, I'm not living up to my potential. Mm-hmm. And then you start writing. And then what happens is maybe you write a couple times and then take a week off. And then you write a little bit more. And now you fast forward, it's been six months and you've started a blog and you've been writing regularly. And then about a year later, you have 200 things in your blog and you're considering writing a book. Then a year and a half later, you've written a book. And now that same mindset of like, there's a switch at some point and it's really hard to define where it's like, I am an author now because of mm-hmm. what I did. And it's not because it had all started with the mindset change. Like I, I there was a desire, there was right. a desire to do the thing. Right. It's going from the desire to do the thing to overcoming that imposter syndrome. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe you were that thing that the whole time you just had to start doing it. Yeah. Well, that's uh, a perspective shift for sure. Yeah. It's, I mean, I, I think everybody goes through that. Yeah in their chosen profession, podcasting, fitness, me as a therapist, I, I was a, I was a therapist for a couple of years before I was like, damn, I'm kind of a therapist now. Like I kind of know what I'm talking <laughs> Like that was really, let me give myself a pat on. I, that was really yeah. good advice. I really broke that mess down for that person. <laughs> I, bet you, I bet you think through like Brandon as a, as a physical trainer, some people just be like, oh, I don't, I can't work out. I can't. I said, no, I'm not the way I'm wired. How do you help people get through that imposter syndrome? You know, I'll go down to what is the easiest, simplest thing that's close to something they enjoy and start there um, and create that as a habit and build from there. Yeah. So, you know, they don't have to start with, you know, like hit training and, and doing crazy CrossFit stuff. But, you know, if they can go for a walk for five minutes, guess what? That's exercise. Yep. And just start moving more and just create those baby steps. You know, I think it needs to be one small habit at a time that builds on each other. You don't have to throw them into craziness. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've been using the phrase low and slow for, for purely like substance abuse, mental health stuff. I that it's, it's a workout phrase. Like you like, how do you start lifting weights? So you start low weights and you move up really slowly. And I've used that to, I found that phrase to be applicable to all manner of behaviors. Yeah. And it's really is just as simple as like finding the one thing you can do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. With, to start. Do you guys think the, uh, the nature of marketing and the nature of the society we live in and everything should be instant and right away and, you know, pay me $45 and I'll give you the keys to make a hundred thousand dollars this year in your business that you just started (laughs) and all those, all the things that you see on Facebook ads and stuff like that are making it tougher for helping people because they're brand. One of the things in the show is like, there's no shortcuts, just no shortcuts. Yeah, not for sustainability. We have an immediacy problem in our culture that is largely internet related. Everybody expects everything to happen right away. Everybody expects to be able to like 
Google's great. The internet is a wonderful tool. It's unlocked um, countless aspects of our society that are endlessly positive, but we are used to instant gratification more now than we ever have been as a species. Like slow food is like a invo. Ooh, how that's exotic sounding. Like yeah. you, have to, you have to like, where did that become weird? Take yeah. an animal and cook it. Like you have to take a vegetable and steam it. The instant gratification that people have become accustomed to are why people waste so much money on supp- on, on like bogus weight loss supplements that are usually just stimulants or just placebo crap and why people turn to drugs and alcohol sometimes because they're like, I can't, I I just want to feel better right now. I can't, I don't feel good. I don't like how I feel right now in my body. I'm, you know what would make me feel really good taking something. And when the answer is always more complicated and way more, long long term and difficult you have to understand that there's not quick fixes for everything in life and things that are worth things you work for are probably worth working for and being able to zoom out and understand that real change happens slowly in most cases agree so i think with all the dopamine hits we get from social media and things like that and mm. this sense of instant gratification i do think it's more difficult and that's something i really struggle with with clients is like well i want to lose 20 or 30 pounds in a month i'm like i can help you do that but it's going to come right back and it always does so to get them to understand for sustainable uh, practices it needs to be one to two pounds a week which turns out to be like eight pounds a month i mean that's how you keep it off forever i mean i tell them up front if you're not willing to do my approach. I'm yeah. sorry. It's, it goes against my beliefs to, to force this off of you real quick. I could do it. I know how to do it, but I, I just don't think it's healthy. I mean, that's where I think it's really, really important when developing their goals, whether you're using the smart goal method, that there's other things they're measuring other than just their weight. Because I'm looking at habits throughout the day holistically. Mm-hmm. Because I know over time, that's what's going to cause a shift in hormones and create this permanent change. That, and it takes a long time to build that up. Yeah, I think the word holistic is is the key component there is like I mean and like like you have to think about your whole your life and your body as a system. It's not one thing. It's not like oh, if I just do curls all day and eat wing bar all night, I'll be cool. Like no, you're not going to be healthy. You're not you'll have biceps. It's true. Those are the same thing if the wings are heavy. If the, e- eating true. heavy wings, that's, that's bundling. We're bundling. Habit bundling. Habit bundling. <laughs> you ban heavy wings. wing curls. <laughs> yeah. I think that would work. If On wings weren't so small. <laughs> <laughs> now, no, before we get to the close, I did want to ask, you'd mentioned about self-care. Mm-hmm. Can you give uh, the audience some tools in their tool belt of, of self-care strategies to, to help them with habit change, with fighting their demons and, and reaching their goals? Well, I would say start by listening to this podcast um, and all of your podcasts. Thank you, sir. I did uh-huh. not pay him to do that. <laughs> I'm not getting paid? No. Nope. <laughs> Sorry, sir. <laughs> Listen to yourself. Like, take the time to try it. Like, and this is, again, big in lots of ways, but take the time to try and understand yourself. Take the time to try and figure out, to listen to what you're feeling and understand what need you're addressing with your behavior or with, or yeah, with your behavior. Like 
if your problem is food, understand, try to figure out before you eat, before you do the unhealthy thing, whether it's eating, whether it's drinking, whether it's drugs, whether it's porn, whether it's whatever it is, try to understand, take them. If you can get in a little bit of space in between you and that behavior and try to just get a little bit of insight about like, what am I feeling right now? What is this emotional state that I'm in that I think I won't be in after I do this? Then that is the trail. That's the first breadcrumb on a trail of breadcrumbs that's going to lead you to understanding a pattern of behavior and understanding a pattern of thought that dictates behavior. That's going to help you start to understand how, like what's really going on with you that you're, what, what you, what are you treating with these? I'm not going to say wings again, but wings, uh, (laughs) (laughs) what are you treating with this behavior that you're not getting? What need is it addressing that you, you're not getting met somewhere else. And if you can start to get your arms around that, then the changes that you can make can start to, that's when things can start to really happen for you. So I guess that's my, that, that's sort of like, like self, it's a big, it's kind of a big answer because that's not, it's an extremely difficult thing for people to do in, in a world of instant gratification where we have unlimited access to things like alcohol and drugs and, and wings and porn and, and movies and, and, and TV and stuff like that. It's, ex- it's, it's extremely hard to like, when you're expected, expect things instantly to find to put a pause there. But I guess that's maybe my one would be my takeaway. Put a pause there. If there's something in your life that you can at least identify as being problematic for you, you can see that it's, you can draw a line between that behavior and a problem that it's creating in your life. Put a pause there. Fill that pause with a little bit of self-reflection and maybe talk to somebody about it. Find someone you can talk to about it. And then you can start to really hunt down what's going on with you and maybe make some changes that'll help. Uh, That's great advice. All right. Well, thanks for coming on the show. Anytime, man. This was really fun. Thanks for tuning in today. I hope you got a lot of value out of today's episode. If you did, uh, go check us out at firewithinnf.com. You can subscribe to our newsletters and make sure you never miss an episode or any other content. Also, be sure to follow us on social media.